0: on the present revival of religion, Jonathan Edwards. Another cause of errors in conducting a revival is the adoption of wrong principles. One erroneous principle, at which hardly any has proved more mischievous to the present glorious work of God, is a notion that it is God's manner in these days to guide his saints, at least some that are more imminent, by inspiration or immediate revelation they suppose he makes known to them what shall come to pass hereafter, or what it is his will that they should do by impressions made upon their minds, either with or without text of scripture, in which they claim that something is made known to them that is not taught in the scripture. By such a notion the devil has a great door open for him, and if once his opinion should come to be fully yielded to and established in the church of God, Satan would have opportunity by it to set up himself as a guide and oracle of God's people and have his word regarded as their infallible rule, and so to lead them where he would, introduce what he pleased, and so to bring the Bible into neglect and contempt. Late experience in some instances has shown that the tendency of this notion is to cause persons to esteem the Bible as in a great measure useless. This error will defend and support errors. As long as Verson has a notion that he is guided by immediate direction from heaven, it makes him incorrigible and impregnable in all his misconduct. For what signifies it for poor blind worms of the dust to go to argue with a man and endeavor to convince him and correct him that is guided by the immediate counsels and commands of the great Jehovah? This great work of God has been exceedingly hindered by this error." Until we have quite taken this handle out of the devil's hands, the work of God will never go on without great clogs and hindrances. Satan will always have a vast advantage in his hands against it, and as he has improved it hitherto, so he will do so still. And it is evident that the devil knows the vast advantage he has by it, It makes him exceeding loath to let go his hold. It is strange what a disposition there is in many well-disposed and religious persons to fall in with and hold fast this notion. It is enough to astonish one to such multiplied plain instances the felling of such supposed revelations in the event do not open everyone's eyes. I have seen so many instances of the felling of such impressions that would almost furnish a history I have been acquainted with them when made under all kinds of circumstances, and have seen them fail in the event, when made with such circumstances as have been fairest and brightest and most promising. They have been made upon the minds of apparently eminent saints, and with an excellent heavenly frame of spirit yet continued, and made with texts of scripture that seemed exceeding opposite, wonderfully brought to the mind and the impressions repeated over and over, and yet all has most manifestly come to nothing in the full conviction of the persons themselves. God has so many instances of late in his providence covered such things with darkness, that one would think it would be enough quite to blank the expectations of those who have been ready to think highly of such things. It seems to be a testimony of God that he has no design of reviving revelations in his church and a rebuke from him to the groundless expectations of it. It seems to me that Zechariah 13 verse 5 is a prophecy concerning ministers of the gospel in the latter and glorious day of the Christian church, which is evidently spoken of in this in the foregoing chapters. The words I apprehend are to be interpreted in a spiritual sense. I am an husbandman. The work of ministers is very often in the New Testament compared to the business of the husbandmen, to take care of God's husbandry, to whom he lets out his vineyard and sends them forth to labor in his field, where one plants and another waters, one sows and another reaps. So ministers are called laborers in God's harvest. And, as it is added, men taught me to keep cattle from my youth, So the work of a minister is very often in scripture represented by the business of a shepherd or pastor. And whereas it is said, I am no prophet, but man taught me from my youth, it is as much as to say, I do not pretend to have anything added to them by impulses from above. Why should we not rest on that standing rule that God has given to his church, which the apostle teaches us is sure than a voice from heaven and why should we desire to make the scripture speak more to us than it does? Or why should any desire a higher kind of intercourse with heaven than by having the Holy Spirit given in a sanctifying influences, infusing in an exciting grace and holiness, love and joy, which is the highest kind of intercourse that the saints and angels in heaven have with God? and the chief excellency of the glorified man, Christ Jesus. Some that follow impulses and impressions indulge in notion that they do no other than follow the guidance of God's word because the impression is made with the text of scripture that comes to their mind. But they take that text as it is impressed on their minds and improve it as a new revelation to all intents and purposes. While the text as it is in the Bible implies no such thing and they themselves do not suppose that any such revelation was contained in it before. Suppose, for instance, that text should come into a person's mind with strong impression. Acts 9 verse 6, Arise, and go into the city and it shall be told you what you must do. And he should interpret it as an immediate signification of the will of God, that he should now forthwith go to such a neighboring town, and there he should meet with a further discovery of his duty. Such these are revealed by the impression of these words, it is to all intents a new revelation, not the less because certain words of scripture are made use of in the case. There are propositions or truths entirely new that those words do not contain. These propositions, that it is God's mind and will that such a person by name should arise at such a time and go to such a place, and that there he should meet with discoveries are entirely new propositions wholly different from those contained in that text of Scripture. They are no more implied in the words themselves, without a new revelation, than it is implied that he should arise and go to any other place or that any other person should arise and go to that place. The propositions supposed to be now revealed or is really different from those contained in that scripture as they are from the propositions contained in that text in Genesis 5 verse 6, And Seth lived an hundred and five years and begat Enos. This is quite a different thing from the Spirit's enlightening the mind to understand the words of God and know what is contained and revealed in them, and what consequences may be justly drawn from them, and to see how they are applicable to our case and circumstances, which is done without any new revelation, only by enabling the mind to understand and apply a revelation already made. Those texts of scripture that speak of the children of God as led by the Spirit have been by some brought to defend such impulses, particularly Romans 8.14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In Galatians 5, verse eighteen, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But these texts themselves confute them that bring them. For it is evident that the leading of the Spirit, which the apostle speaks of, is peculiar to the children of God, and a natural man cannot have. For he speaks of it as a sure evidence of there being the sons of God, and not under the law but a leading or directing of a person by immediate revealing to him where he should go, or what shall hereafter come to pass, or what shall be the future consequence of his doing thus or thus. If there be any such thing in these days, it is not of the nature of the gracious leading of the Spirit of God, peculiar to God's children. It is no more than a common gift. There is nothing in it but what natural men are capable of, and many of them have had in the days of inspiration. A man may have ten thousand such revelations and directions from the Spirit of God, and yet not have a jot of grace in his heart. It is no more than the gift of prophecy which immediately reveals what will be, or should be, hereafter. But this is only a common gift, as the Apostle expressly shows in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 2 and 8. If a person has anything revealed to him from God, or is directed to anything by a voice from heaven, or a whisper, Our words immediately suggested to his mind there is nothing of the nature of grace merely in this. It is of the nature of a common influence of the Spirit, but is dross in comparison of the excellency of that gracious leading of the Spirit that the saints have. Such a way of being directed where one shall go, and what he shall do is no more than what Balaam had from God, who from time to time revealed to him what he should do, so that he was in this sense led by the Spirit for a considerable time there is a more excellent way in which the Spirit leads the sons of God that natural man cannot have and that is by inclining them to do the will of God and go in the shining path of truth and christian holiness from a holy heavenly disposition which the Spirit of God gives them, and which inclines and leads them to those things that are excellent and agreeable to God's mind, by which they are transformed by the renewing of their minds, and prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Romans 12, verse 2. And so the Spirit of God does in a gracious manner teach the saints their duty, and he teaches them in a higher manner than ever Balaam or Saul or Judas were taught. The Spirit of God enlightens them with respect to their duty by making their eyes single and pure, whereby the whole body is full of light. The sanctifying influence of the Spirit of God rectifies the taste of the soul, whereby it savors those things that are of God, and naturally relishes and delights in those things that are holy and agreeable to God's mind, and like one of a distinguishing taste that chooses those things that are good and wholesome and rejects those that are evil. The sanctified ear tries words, and the sanctified heart tries actions as the mouth tastes meat. And thus the Spirit of God leads and guides the meek in his way. Agreeable to his promises, he enables them to understand the commands and counsels of his word, and rightly to apply them. Christ blames the Pharisees that they had not his holy distinguishing taste to discern and distinguish what was right and wrong. Luke twelve fifty seven. Yea, and why even of your own selves judge you not what is right? The leading of the spirit which God gives his children, and which is peculiar to them, is that teaching them his statutes, and causing them to understand the way of his precepts, which the psalmist so very often prays for, especially in the 119th psalm, and not in giving them new statutes and new precepts, he graciously gives them eyes to see, and ears to hear, and hearts to understand." he causes them to understand the fear of the lord and so brings the blind by a way they knew not and leads them in paths that they had not known and darkness light before them and crooked things straight so the assistance of the spirit in praying and preaching seems by some to have been greatly misunderstood and they have sought after a miraculous assistance of inspiration by the immediate suggesting of words to them, by such gifts and influences of the Spirit in praying and teaching as the Apostle speaks of in First Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 26, which many natural men had in those days, instead of a gracious holy assistance of the Spirit of God which is far more excellent way. The gracious and most excellent assistance of the Spirit of God in praying and preaching is not by immediately suggesting words to the apprehension, which may be with a cold dead heart, but by warming the heart and filling it with a great sense of things to be spoken and with holy affections. The deeds may suggest words. Thus indeed the Spirit of God may be said indirectly immediately to suggest words to us, to indite our petitions for us and to teach the preacher what to say, he fills the heart, and that fills a mouth. We know that when men are greatly affected in any manner and their hearts are very full it fills them with manner for speech, and makes them eloquent upon that subject, and much more has spiritual affections his tendency for many reasons that might be given. When a person is a holy and lively frame in secret prayer, or in Christian conversation, it will wonderfully supply him with matter and with expressions, as every true Christian knows, and it has a like tendency to enable a person in public prayer and preaching. And if he has these holy influences of the Spirit on his heart in a high degree, nothing in the world will have so great a tendency to make both a matter and manner of its public performances excellent and profitable. But, since there is no immediate suggesting of words from the Spirit of God to be expected or desired, they who neglect and despise study and premeditation in order to a preparation from the pulpit in such an expectation are guilty of presumption, though doubtless it may be awful for some persons in some cases, and they may be called to it, to preach with very little study and the Spirit of God by the heavenly frame of heart that he gives them may enable them to do it to excellent purpose. Besides this most excellent way of the Spirit of God, assisting ministers in public performances, which considered as a preacher's privilege, far excels inspiration. There is a common assistance which natural men may have in these days, and which a godly may have intermingled with a gracious assistance, which is also very different from inspiration, and that is his assisting natural principles as a natural apprehension, reason, memory, conscience, and natural affection. But to return to the head of impressions and immediate revelations, merely lay themselves open to a delusion by expecting direction from heaven in this way and waiting for it. In such a case, it is easy for persons to imagine that they have it, they perhaps at a laws concerning something undetermined what they shall do, what course they shall take in some affair, and they pray to God to direct them, and make known to them his mind and will, and then instead of expecting to be directed by being assisted in considering the rules of God's word, his providence and their circumstances, to look on things in a true light, and justly to weigh them, they are waiting for some secret immediate influence unaccountably sway in their minds and turning their thoughts or inclinations that way in which God would have them to go. And by this they are exposed to two things first. They lay themselves open to the devil, and give him a fair opportunity to lead them where he pleases. For they stand ready to follow the first extraordinary impulse that they have, groundlessly concluding it is from God. And secondly, they are gradually exposed to be deceived by their own imaginations, For such an expectation awakens and quickens the imagination, and that oftentimes is called an uncommon impression. That is no such thing. And they ascribe that to the agency of some invisible being, which is owing only to themselves. Again, another way that many have been deceived is by drawing false conclusions from true premises. Many true and eminent saints have been led into mistakes and snares by arguing that they have prayed in faith. They have indeed been greatly assisted in prayer for such a particular mercy, and have had a true spirit of prayer and exercise, and are asking it of God. But they have concluded more from these premises than is a just consequence from them. That they have thus prayed is a sure sign that their prayer is accepted and heard, and that God will give a gracious answer according to His own wisdom, and that the particular thing asked shall be given, or that which is equivalent. This is a just consequence from it, but it is not inferred by any new revelation now made, but by the promises made to the prayer of faith in the holy scriptures, but that God will answer them in that individual thing they ask, if it be not a thing promised in God's word, or they do not certainly know that it is what will be most for the good of God's church any advancement of Christ's kingdom and glory, nor whether it will be best for them is more than can justly be concluded from it. If God remarkably meets with one of his children while he is praying for a particular mercy of great importance for himself or some other person, or any society of men, and does by the influences of his spirit greatly humble him and empty him of himself in his prayer, and manifests himself remarkably in his excellency, sovereignty, and all-sufficient power and grace in Jesus Christ, and in a remarkable manner enables a person to come to him for that mercy, poor in spirit, and with humble resignation to God, and with a great degree of faith in the divine sufficiency, and the sufficiency of Christ's mediation, that person has indeed a great deal the more reason to hope that God will grant that mercy than otherwise he would have. The greater probability is justly inferred agreeable to the promises of the Holy Scripture, and that such a prayer is accepted and heard, and it is much more probable that a prayer that is heard will be returned with a particular mercy that is asked, than one that is not so. And there is no reason at all to doubt, but that God sometimes especially enables the exercises of faith when the minds of his saints are engaged in thoughts of and prayer for some particular blessing they greatly desire, God is pleased especially to give them a believing frame, a sense of its fullness and a spirit of humble dependence on him at such times. When they are thinking of and praying for such a mercy, he gives them a particular sense of his ability and of the sufficiency of his power to overcome obstacles and the sufficiency of his mercy and of the blood of Christ for the removal of the guilt that is in the way of the bestowment of such a mercy in particular. When this is the case, it makes the probability still much greater that God does intend to bestow the particular mercy sought for in his own time and in his own way but here is nothing of the nature of a revelation in the case only a drawing rational conclusions from the particular manner and circumstances of the ordinary gracious influences of god's spirit and as god is pleased sometimes to give his saints particular exercises of faith in his sufficiency with regard to particular mercies so he is sometimes pleased to make use of his word in order to it and helps the actings of faith with respect to such a mercy the strengthening of their faith in God's sufficiency in this case, therefore a just improvement of such scriptures. It is no more than what those scriptures as they stand in the Bible hold forth, but to take them as new whispers or revelations from heaven is not making a just improvement of them. If persons have thus a spirit of prayer remarkably given to them concerning particular mercy, from time to time so as evidently to be assisted to act, Faith in God in that particular, in a very distinguishing manner, the argument in some cases may be very strong that God does design to grant that mercy, not from any revelation now made of it, but from such a kind of manner of the ordinary influence of a spirit with respect to that thing. But here a great deal of caution and circumspection must be used in drawing inferences of this nature. There are many ways by which persons may be misled and deluded. The ground on which some expect that they shall receive the thing they have asked for is rather a strong imagination than any true humble faith in the divine sufficiency. They have a strong persuasion that the thing asked shall be granted, which they can give no reason for without any remarkable discovery of the glory and fullness of God in Christ. That is the ground of faith. And sometimes the confidence that their prayers shall be answered is only a self-righteous confidence and not true faith. They have a high conceit of themselves as eminent saints and special favorites of God, and have also a high conceit of the prayers they have made because they were much enlarged and affected in them, and hence they are positive in it that the thing will come to pass. And sometimes when once they have conceived such a notion they grow stronger and stronger in it. And this they think is from an immediate divine hand upon their minds to strengthen their confidence, whereas it is only by their dwelling in their minds on their own excellency and high experiences and great assistances in which they look brighter and brighter in their own eyes. Hence it is found by observation and experience that nothing in the world exposes so much to enthusiasm and spiritual pride and self-righteousness. Another erroneous principle that some have embraced, and which has been a source of many errors in their conduct, is that persons ought always to do whatever the Spirit of God, though but indirectly, inclines them to. Indeed, the Spirit of God is, in itself, infinitely perfect, and all its immediate acting, simply considered, are perfect, and there can be nothing wrong in them, and therefore all that the Spirit of God inclines us to directly and immediately, without the intervention of any other cause that shall pervert and misimprove what is from him ought to be done. But there may be many things, dispositions, to do which may indirectly be from the Spirit of God that we ought not to do. The disposition in general may be good, if from the Spirit of God, but the particular determination of that disposition as to your particular actions, objects, and circumstances may be from the intervention or interposition of some infirmity, blindness, inadvertence, deceit, or corruption of ours, so that although the disposition in general ought to be allowed and promoted, and all those actings of it that are simply from God's Spirit, yet that particular ill direction or determination of that disposition which is from some other cause ought not to be followed. As for instance, the Spirit of God may cause a person to have a dear love to another, and so a great desire of and delight in his comfort, ease, and pleasure. This disposition in general is good, and ought to be followed, but yet through the intervention of indiscretion or some other bad cause it may be ill-directed, and have a bad determination as to particular acts, and a person indirectly through that real love he has to his neighbor may kill him with kindness, he may do that out of a sincere good will to him which may tend to ruin him. A good disposition may, through some inadvertence or delusion, strongly incline a person to that which, if he saw all things as they are, would be most contrary to that disposition. The true loyalty of a general and his zeal for the honor of his prince may exceedingly animate him in war, but this good disposition, through indiscretion and mistake, may push him forward to those things that give the enemy great advantage, and may expose him and his army to ruin and may tend to the ruin of its master's interest the apostle does evidently suppose that the spirit of god in its extraordinary immediate and miraculous influences on men's minds may in some respect incite inclinations which if gratified would tend to confusion and therefore must sometimes be restrained and in their exercise must be under the government of discretion first corinthians fourteen thirty one to thirty three for you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Hereby the spirits of the prophets. According to the known phraseology of the apostle, is meant the spirit of God acting in the prophets. According to the special gifts with which each one was endued, and here it is plainly implied that the Spirit of God thus operating in them may be an occasion of their having sometimes an inclination to do that in the exercise of those gifts, which it was not proper, decent, or profitable that they should, and that therefore the inclination owing directly from the Spirit of God should be restrained, and that it ought to be subject to the discretion of the prophets as to the particular time and circumstances of its exercise." I don't doubt but that it is possible for a minister to have by the Spirit of God such a sense of the importance of eternal things and of the misery of mankind, so many of whom are exposed to eternal destruction, together with such a love of souls that he might find in himself a disposition to spend all his time, day and night, in warning, exhorting and calling upon men, and so he must be obliged, as it were, to do violence to himself, ever to refrain." So as to give himself any opportunity to eat, drink, or sleep. And so I believe there may be a disposition in like manner indirectly excited in lay persons through the intervention of their infirmity to do what only belongs to ministers, yea, to do those things that would not become either ministers or people through the influence of the Spirit of God, together with lack of discretion and some remaining corruption. Women and children might feel themselves inclined to break forth aloud to great congregations warning and exhorting the whole multitude, and to scream in the streets, or to leave their families and go from house to house earnestly exhorting others, but yet it would by no means follow that it was their duty to do these things, or that they would not have a tendency to do ten times as much hurt as good. Another wrong principle from whence of arisen errors in conduct is that whatsoever is found to be a present and immediate benefit may and ought to be practiced without looking forward to future consequences. Some persons seem to think that it sufficiently justifies anything they say or do. That it is found to be for present edification, it assists and promotes their present affection, and therefore they think they should not concern themselves about future consequences, but leave them with God. Indeed, in things that are in themselves our duty, being required by moral rules, or absolute positive commands of God. They must be done, and future conscience must be left with God. Our discretion takes no place here, but in other things we are to be governed by discretion and must only look at the present good, but our view must be extensive, and we must look at the consequences of things. It is the duty of ministers especially to exercise this discretion, and things in which they are not determined by an absolute rule, and not enjoined them by wisdom superior to their own. Christ has left them to their own discretion with that general rule, that they should exercise the utmost wisdom they could obtain, in pursuing that which, upon the best view of the consequences of things, will tend most to the advancement of his kingdom. This is implied in those words of Christ to his disciples when he sent them forth to preach the gospel, Matthew 10:16). Be wise as serpents. The Scriptures always represent the works of a gospel minister by those employments that especially require a wise foresight of and provision for future events and consequences. So it is compared with the business of a steward, which in an eminent manner requires forecast. As, for instance, a wise laying in of provision for the supply of the needs of a family, according to its future necessities, so it is compared to the husbandman, that almost wholly consists in things done with a view to the future fruits and consequences of his labor. The husbandman's discretion and forecast is eloquently set forth in Isaiah 28 verses 24 to 26. Does a plowman plow all day to sow? Does he open and break the clods of his ground? When he has made plain the face of it, does he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For as God instructs him to discretion, and teaches him. So the work of the ministry is compared to that of a wise builder or architect, who has a comprehensive view, and for whom it is necessary that, when he begins a building, he should have at once a view of the whole frame, and all of the future parts of the structure, even to the pinnacle, that all may be fitly framed together. So also it is compared to the business of a trader or merchant who is to gain by trading a business that exceedingly requires forecast and without which is never like to be followed with success for any long time. So it is represented by the business of a fisherman which depends on peculiar skill and to that of a soldier which perhaps above any other secular business requires great foresight and a wise provision for future events and consequences and particularly ministers ought not to be careless how much they discompose the minds of natural men, or how great an uproar they raise in the carnal world, and so lay blocks in the way of the propagation of religion. This certainly is not to follow the example of zealous apostle Paul, who though he would not depart from his duty to please carnal men, yet where he might with a good conscience exceedingly lay it out himself to please them, he avoided raising in a multitude prejudices, oppositions, and tumults against the gospel, and looked upon it as of great consequence, 1 Corinthians ten thirty-two and 33. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, not to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Yea, he declares that he laid himself out so much for this, that he made himself a kind of servant to all sorts of men, conforming to their customs and various humors and everything in which he might, even in the things that were very burdensome to him, that he might not frighten men away from Christianity and cause them to stand as it were praised and armed against it. But on the contrary, if possible might have condescension and friendship when it draw them to it, 1 Corinthians nine nineteen to 23 and agreeable hereto are the directions he gives to others both ministers and people. So he directs the Christian Romans not to please themselves, but everyone please his neighbor for his good to edification, Romans fifteen one and 2. And to follow after the things that make for peace, chapter 14, verse 19. And he expresses it in terms exceeding strong, Romans 12, verse 18. If it be possible, as much lives in you, live peaceably with all men. And he directs ministers to endeavor if possible to gain opposers by a meek, condescending treatment, avoiding all appearance of strife or fierceness. 2 Timothy two twenty four 26 To the like purpose, the same apostle directs Christians to walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Ephesians 4, or 5 And to avoid giving offense to others if we can that are good may not be evil spoken of, Romans 14, verse 16, so that it is evident. The most zealous and most successful propagator of vital religion that ever was looked upon it to be of great consequence to endeavor as much as possible by all the methods of lawful meekness and gentleness to avoid raising the prejudice and opposition of the world against religion. When we have done our utmost, there will be opposition enough to vital religion, against which a carnal mind of man has such an enmity. We should not, therefore, needlessly increase and raise that enmity. The apostle, though he took so much pains to please men, had persecution almost everywhere raised against him. A fisherman is careful not needlessly to ruffle and disturb the water, lest he should drive the fish away from his net, but he will rather endeavor, if possible, to draw them into it. Such a fisherman was the apostle, Second Corinthians 12, verses 15 and 16. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though The more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I will not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Another error arising from an erroneous principle is the wrong notion that they have an attestation of divine providence to persons or things. We go too far when we look upon the success that God gives to some persons in making them the instruments of doing much good. as a testimony of God's approbation of those persons and all their courses they take. It has been a main argument to defend the conduct of some ministers who have been blamed as imprudent and irregular that God has blessed them and given them great success and that however men charge them as guilty of wrong things yet that god is with them and then who can be against them and probably some of those ministers themselves by this very means have had their ears stopped against all that has been said to convince them of their misconduct there are innumerable ways by which persons may be misled in forming a judgment of the mind and will of god from the events of providence if a person's success be a reward of something in him that god approves Yet, it is no argument that he approves everything in him, who can tell how far the divine grace may go in greatly rewarding some small good in a person, a good meaning, something good in his disposition, while he at the same time in sovereign mercy hides his eyes from a great deal that is bad which it is his pleasure to forgive and not to mark against a person, though in itself it be very ill. God has not told us after what manner he will proceed in this manner, and we go upon most uncertain grounds when we undertake to determine. It is an exceeding difficult thing to know how far love or hatred are exercised towards persons or actions by all that is before us. God was pleased in a sovereignty to give such success to Jacob in that which from the beginning to end was a deceitful lying contrivance and proceeding of his. In that way he obtained a blessing that was worth infinitely more than the fatness of the earth and the dew from heaven, given to Esau in his blessing, yea worth more than all that the world can afford. God was for a while with Judas, so that by God's power in accompanying him, he wrought miracles and cast out devils. But this could not justly be interpreted as God's approbation of his person, or the thievery in which he lived in at the same time. The dispensations and events of providence with their reasons are too little understood by us to be as our rule, instead of God's word. God has his way in the sea, and his path in the mighty waters, and his footsteps are not known and he gives us no account of any of his manners, and therefore we cannot safely take the events of his providence as a revelation of his mind concerning a person's conduct and behavior. We have no warrant so to do. God has never appointed those things to be a rule. We have but one rule to go by, and that is his holy word, and when we join anything else with it as having the force of a rule, we are guilty of that which is strictly forbidden. They who make what they imagine is pointed forth to them in providence, to rule a behavior do err, as well as those that follow impulses and impressions. We should put nothing in the room of the word of God. It is to be feared that some have been greatly confirmed and emboldened by the great success that God has given them, in some things that have really been contrary to the rules of God's holy word. If so, they have been guilty of presumption and abusing God's kindness to them, and a great honor is put upon them. They have seen that God was with them and made them victorious in their preaching, and this is, it is to be feared, has been abused by some to a degree of self-confidence. This has much taken off all jealousy of themselves, and have been bold, therefore, to go great length in the presumption that God was with them, and would defend them and finally baffle all that found fault with them. Indeed, there is a voice of God in his providence that may be interpreted and well understood by the rule of his word. And providence may, to our dark minds and weak faith, confirm the word of God as it fulfills it. But to improve divine providence thus is quite a different thing from making a rule of providence. Good use may be made of the events of providence, of our own observation and experience, and human histories in the opinion of eminent men. But finally, all must be brought to one rule, namely the word of God, and that must be regarded as our only rule.